Hey, this is Dave Chris. I'm the pastor of We're One based out of Gateway Assembly, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We pray that this equips you and encourages you in your faith to see Jesus more clearly in your life. Let's hit it. Hey, get on your feet tonight. We're going to get into the Word of God. And uh, if you got your Bible, I'm going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 3. If you don't have your Bible, it's okay. It's on the screen. But God's Word is anointed. God's Word is awesome. I love God's Word. Um, I don't know where I'd be without God's Word. It's His constant instruction. It's His constant voice. It, uh, it's never let me down, ever, not once. I love this passage here in 1 Samuel chapter 3. It says that the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could hardly see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here, here I am. You, you called me? But Eli said, I, I didn't call you. Go back and lie down. So he went back and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. My son Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel a third time, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. I want to talk to you tonight about hearing the voice of God in a generation surrounded by noise. About hearing God, a God, the maker of heaven and earth, a God who sent his one and only son for us, a God who knows us and wants to know us so much more intimately than we'll allow him to. He wants to talk to you. And I would be lying to you if I were to tell you that some of you, I'm going to set up all of this tonight, yet you're not willing to make some changes in your life. Therefore, you are not going to hear God talk to you. This message requires action. It's going to require you saying, I'm going to have to shift some things in my life. I'm going to have to have some new patterns every day. I'm going to have to do things differently. I'll tell you, if you're willing to do things differently, God never stopped being willing to want to speak to you. You just have to be willing to follow the instruction of the Word of God. So tonight, as we're in this series, you know, like this speaks to every age, man. This speaks to me. This speaks to the oldest and the youngest in the room. But as we're in this series, Z, the now generation, I'm speaking specifically in this series to this generation Z. That's who I'm speaking to. 
you are in a generation where the noise level is so loud and you're so unaware of how deafening it is. And so as God's presence is already here and man, worship was so powerful tonight as we were already entering in his presence. It, it is our opportunity tonight to stop and be fully aware that God is here and he wants to speak to us. And we're gonna just lower the volume a little bit tonight. And we're not gonna be so in need of making things so obnoxious that we can't hear him because every day the world, your life is obnoxious. It's okay to hoot and holler like as I preach. If you're excited, it's okay to proclaim the Lord. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about lowering the volume in your life to hear him at a whisper level here tonight because he wants to talk to you. Heavenly Father, we know that you want to talk to us. We know that you're here. We know that, Lord, there's people in the room that they've never heard God speak to them. They've never been able to clearly say, man, I know God is trying to tell me this. I know God is talking to me. I pray that people would be able to leave here and begin to see some of the building blocks and the steps necessary to see this happen in their life because it is possible, it is attainable, and God so desperately wants to speak with them. So Lord, show us tonight what we must do in order to hear from you clearly. We give you all the praise. We thank you for just this amazing night, for your word, and that we get to be together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody says amen. Amen. Y'all love Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, you can grab your seat. Let's get into it tonight. Okay, Zoomers. I've been preparing this message all day, so y'all better not let this flop, okay? Um, I heard that was like a reference, so I said it, but I'm not that trendy. Somebody gave that to me, if I'm going to be honest with you. I guess it's like a TikTok thing or something. I don't know. I'm not on TikTok. I'm not that cool. Um, Last week, we talked about how Gen Z, they came of age in a world saturated by digital technology. And your life is completely mediated by mobile devices. Now, I don't want you to answer this out loud. Maybe later we're going to have a discussion on it. But just inside your head right now, I wonder if you fall into this generational observation. Many of Gen Z admit to having experienced what psychologists are calling nomophobia. Nobophobia is a feeling of anxiety anytime they're separated from their mobile phone. So nomo, meaning no mobile phone phobia. It is legitimately a fear of not having your cell phone with you. It's funny because I would see people in the room smiling at me, yet probably you're some of the people that are experiencing nomophobia, I would guess. It's a real thing when your cell phone's not with you it's an anxiety and a fear created from it. Now, much of what we talked about last week is how social media, it's redefining our identities. But that's not the end of it. We got to go a step further. It's doing so much more. It's leaving you, not just redefining your identity, but it's leaving you in an emotional place of anxiety is what it's doing. And uh, basically, you've become so accustomed to the needing the next like or the next comment or whatever the next thing is on your device, on the social networking world that we exist in, that it's creating this sense of anxiety in you because Gen Z 
understand this. If you're a millennial in the room, I get this, but Gen Z doesn't. Gen Z cannot remember a time before the internet. It, there was never a time when the internet did not exist to them. So every decision, every perspective, every bit of knowledge that Gen Z has is built 100% and it's tied to the WWW. Your life connected to Wi-Fi through an app, connected to the World Wide Web is all Gen Z has ever known. Now, as a church, we've been doing this church-wide fast, and it's been very interesting for me during this fast because part of my fast not only has entailed food, among other things, but it's entailed me being disconnected from social media. I love social media, if I'm just being honest. I'm on it a lot, if I'm being honest. You don't realize how entangled you are in something until you untangle it for a second. You have no idea, you don't realize how much time you spend on something, how entangled and wrapped you are into something until you remove yourself from it. It could be video games, it could be your phone and social media, it could be a relationship, it could be anything. Until you pull back from that, you don't realize how twisted you are into it. Can I just tell you, not just at my age, but at your age, there is a need for fasting and prayer at your age. I'm not talking about a church-wide 21 days. It's about to end this Friday at the Serve Awards. I'm talking about like weekly, monthly, throughout the year, there's a need for fasting. That's something I didn't get at your age. Honestly, I didn't get it until probably I was like 31 years old, like last year for real. There's a need for fasting, because I said this two weeks ago in my message, faith to see the unseen. I said, fasting fixes your focus on Jesus. Jesus is called the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. He's the author of our faith. You can't have faith if you're not fixed on him, focused on him. See, what fasting does, because this generation is so entangled into so many things, what it does is it causes you to have to remove something, remove everything but Jesus. Why is this important? Because it's hard to hear God when your life is cluttered. It's very hard to hear God trying to talk to you if your life is so full that there's no room for him. Now, I want you to look at the scripture. We just read it. It starts off in 1 Samuel chapter 3. Look at verse 1, just, just the first three words. It says, the boy Samuel. Just stop there for a second. The boy Samuel. Now, pretty obvious, it's indicating he's a boy, but it's not only his gender it's indicating, but it's indicating his age, that he is young. If you go later in 1 Samuel chapter 17, when David faces off Goliath and David slays Goliath with a slingshot, cuts his head off, it's pretty sweet. Uh, I love it. It's, I'm named after it, so it's sweet. It gets me pumped every time, right? Um, it's called, like, David is called a youth at that time. The word translated here with Samuel as boy is the same word translated at that same time for youth. Now look at this. It says, The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. These two components I want you to see. Samuel's age, one, and two, that the word of the Lord was rare. You need to understand that at that, at that time, God wasn't talking to the people of Israel. Eli, the priest, 
wasn't the greatest dude. It wasn't that he personally was doing a bunch wrong, but his sons were sinning against God. They were bringing sin into the house of God, sin and, and around the people of Israel. And he knew they were sinning, and he wasn't doing anything about it. So God's like, whatever. He shuts up. God just stops talking. See, the priest was supposed to hear from him and, and translate that to the people, and God just stopped talking. But now I want you to look at this. It says, the boy Samuel. Samuel, in the midst of God not talking, in the midst of the sin of Israel here, Samuel, who was nothing more than basically a Gen Z middle schooler of his time. If you were to translate that word boy, youth, to his age, he's somewhere around the age of a middle schooler. Samuel, in the midst of a silent God, hears God talk. Samuel hears the voice of God when no one else is hearing his voice. A middle schooler hears the voice of God when no one else is hearing the voice. I, I need you to get that tonight. Why? I'm asking myself this question. Why Samuel? Why, why, why not like a, a middle-aged person that really like knew a lot about God and had the script? It said that he literally didn't know anything about God because God's voice, God, God's, who he, God was, was never revealed to him before. But Samuel hears God. Why Samuel? Because hearing the voice of God has nothing to do with your age, but everything to do with your atmosphere. I need you to get that tonight. Very simply, that's the title of my message tonight. Atmosphere. Age has nothing to do with you hearing God. Age has nothing to do with what God does or does not want to do with you. Age means nothing. Atmosphere means everything. And the reason I spoke earlier about the importance of prayer and fasting is because there is nothing that shifts and sets the correct atmosphere for your life like prayer and fasting. There's nothing. If you don't know the story of Samuel, Samuel's a miracle child. His mama, Hannah, prayed over and over and over again, like, God, give me a son, give me a child, to the point she finally goes, God, if you give me a child, I'm going to literally give this child back to you for your work, for your service. Understand, Samuel wasn't raised by his mama growing up. He was literally sent back to the house of God, and he was raised by the priest Eli. He grew up in the house of God. And the Bible explains that the place where Samuel would lay his head in the house of God is next to what was called the Ark of God in Scripture. If you don't know what the Ark of God is, the Ark of God is the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was the representation of the presence of God. So he would literally lay his head next to this, this huge case, chest thing, and it was gold and it had these poles and it had these like emblems that were called cherubim that were these created beings of God. And he would lay his head next to this place that was literally there to help them remember that God was with them. Now inside of the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God, inside of it were three things that God had told Moses, who was the previous leader of the Israelites, to put inside of there to remember God's faithfulness. One was the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments that was chiseled out by God. And then if you read the story, basically all the people are sinning. Abraham, I mean, Moses takes them and he breaks them. He, God's like, hey, you're going to go chisel your own Ten Commandments now. These commandments, these Ten Commandments, 
that have been up in you know, judicial courts and all this that have slowly been being taken down. These are the commandments of God in there. The second thing that's in there was Aaron's staff. Aaron's staff, Aaron is Moses' brother. Okay, catch this. And Aaron was the priest at that time when Moses was leading over the Israelites. He was the one that did the sacrificing. He was the one that would hear from God. He was the one that would perform even miracles at times with this staff. And this staff was a miracle because this staff at one point literally budded and it produced almonds. Mmm, some nice almonds. So they put the staff with the Ten Commandments into the Ark of the Covenant so that they, they would remember Israel would always know of God's miracles. Three, the third thing that was put in there was a jar of manna. If you don't know, that's my niece, Manna. Okay. That's, that's what manna is named after. But a jar of manna was essentially this heavenly honey treat food thing, okay? And it literally rained down from heaven to feed the people. And so God said, I want you to put this in a jar, put it in the ark, and I want you to remember that I'm the God that provides. I'm the God that never leaves you when you're needing to eat even. I'm there for you. These three things are placed in there, and now follow me here. Samuel is placing his head down right next to this ark. He's placing his head right next to the presence of God, the depth of God's presence. He doesn't even know what he's doing. He's just laying down. Every night he's here in the presence of God, and at the proper time, God finally decided to speak to him. See, Samuel could hear the Lord speaking to him even at a young and undeveloped age because he was in, in an atmosphere of quiet and focus in God's presence. Are you hearing me? Even at a young, undeveloped, he didn't know everything about God. He hadn't grown up in church. He didn't know even what was going on. But he's placed his head in a place where it was quiet, it was focused, and it was an atmosphere of God's presence where he could think, he could hear clearly. Your atmosphere decides everything. Everything. Your atmosphere decides everything about your life. You know what the problem is in this Generation Z? Is currently the atmosphere of this culture and this generation, it is loud, it is fast, and it's, it's hypnotic almost. It's just us hypnotized, scrolling, hypnotic. Complete control of our minds, complete control of our senses. It's a, it's a hypnotic presence, an atmosphere. Can I tell you what it leads to? It leads to one thing. An atmosphere of anxiety is what it's leading to. It is twisting and turning our minds. It is, it is shifting our focus. It is not quieting us. It is yelling so loud that we are deaf. There's a difference between quietness and deafness. And recent statistics surfaced by the American Psychological Association in an annual Stress in America report, check this, which found that 91% of Generation Z said that they felt physical or emotional symptoms such as depression or anxiety associated with stress. We are talking about young people, 
91% of young people, people that should not be stressed, people that should not be burdened, 91% say physically and emotionally they are experiencing symptoms of depression and anxiety. And researchers, psychologists have found that much of this stress and anxiety is found to be caused by phones and social media because Gen Z doesn't even realize how attached they are and what it's causing in their life. 57% of Gen Z participates in phone media more than four hours a day, I said last week, and 26% use it more than eight hours a day. It's being used to fit, form, and operate their world to talk and chat with friends and family, to share photos and videos, to see news stories, to connect with new people, to follow celebrities and cultural icons and keep up with brands that you're into, to find information about and to organize your own events. You can, you can do it all right at your fingertips. Now, I checked my screen time. If you have an Apple device, I don't know if Android does this or not, but I checked my screen time on Monday. How many hours am I using my phone? As of Monday, my, uh, my average is four and a half hours a day I'm using my cell phone. My top two apps are messages and notes, primarily because that is what I would use for work. I write my sermons and notes and then translate them to, to other apps. I mean, I'm constantly texting, I'm constantly using messages for work. But might I add that those are my top two because I'm fasting social media right now. What if I wasn't fasting? I must ask that question for a second. What if I wasn't fasting? What would my top apps be? Where would my screen time be? I would ask you, what's your screen time number look like? If you haven't checked it, it's probably one of the most convicting things you can do is check how much you're using your cell phone and why you're using your cell phone. Uh, if, I, if I'm being even more honest, I would tell you that there are moments where Sid and I are in the room, same room, but we're not in the same room. And we find ourselves at times on our phones, swiping, scrolling, completely intertwined and entangled with our cell phone, and then somebody, one of us, will say, we should get off our phones as we continue to scroll. We should stop this. The other person responds, okay. For real though, we should stop. I'll stop when you stop. What do you want to do? I don't know. If I'm being honest, there are those moments, this is a problem. This is a problem that two people can be in the same room and they're not in the same room. This is hindering human relationships. It is hindering human connection. Can I tell you the greatest problem of all for Gen Z is that Jesus could walk in the room and they wouldn't even notice it because they're so glued to a screen in front of them. We sang earlier, the Lord is in this place. It says in the book of Genesis that Jacob, real, he stops and he realizes, I'm here and I didn't even know that, the, that God was in this place. 
that literally Jesus could walk in the room and we wouldn't even realize it. Look at this, 1 Samuel 3, verse 9 and 10. So Samuel went and lay down in his place, and look at this. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. The Lord came and stood there. This generation is struggling with nomophobia, a fear of being away from a screen, but they're not struggling with FOMO, God, a fear of missing out on him, a fear of missing out on Jesus, a fear of missing out on God's presence. They're not struggling with FOMO, God, a fear of missing out on him. They are struggling with nomophobia, a fear of missing out on their cell phone. If you want to see change in your life, let me give you a thought here. The first thing you're going to have to do is confess before God that you're disconnected. I'm not talking about just to God. I know you're disconnected from God. You're disconnected from people. You're disconnected from your family. You're disconnected from yourself. You're disconnected from the world. And you're going to have to start. If you want to actually see a change, you're going to have to go, I'm disconnected. And this, this disconnectedness, it's creating an anxiety in this generation that they can't battle, they can't handle, they can't fight on their own. They've become so disconnected, they don't know what to do with it. We know it's an issue, it's proven. I mean, it just came out, Gene Twenge reports in 2011, for the first time in 24 years, that teen suicide rate is higher than teen homicide rate. Between 2014 and 2017, among 15 to 19-year-olds, teen suicide spiked another 10%. To only add to the anxiety, the depression, and the suicidal struggles, 33% of Gen Z report that they've been bullied online. The anxiety is building, it's bubbling, it's bottled up inside of this generation because their face is stuck in a screen and they're so detached from the world. No wonder this is the first ever post-Christian generation. No wonder only 4% have a biblical worldview, meaning that they, they believe, they know God, they believe what the Bible says. No wonder this is the case because they can't hear God even if they wanted to. Because the noise level of everyone and everything else in their life is so loud, God's talking and they can't hear it. Now, let me not go too harsh, too quick. Let me bring some perspective here because there is positive and there is the negative. There is the positive of this generation, but single-handedly there is the pitfalls of it. So, since diversity and diverse views and thinking and experiences are the social norm of this generation, Gen Z has a high tolerance for what and who are different. They're okay with different. Older generations would call this PC, that they're just being politically correct. Now, that's absolutely true. But can I tell you what makes this generation so special simultaneously in the midst of this? What makes them amazing is that they score, Gen Z scores off the charts when it comes to empathy. They care about people. It's the reason I just shared the stat of how much we just raised for the Australia brush fires because they, they run to the need of social justice because they're empathetic and they care about people. This is a beautiful thing. But here's the problem simultaneously. This is the pitfall. Because Gen Z culture wants to live so inclusively, they're empathetic, therefore they want to be inclusive. 
They never want to pass judgment on anyone. Therefore, they live in a constant state of anxiety when it comes to giving an answer or acting upon what they believe because they don't want to offend anyone. So they're so bottled up and anxious because they don't want to say the wrong thing that might offend somebody. The Apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter 3.15, he says, Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have. Always be prepared to give a reason to share your faith. But see, studies show that many of Gen Z are reluctant to make a declarative statement about anything. To say what they believe about anything for fear of it causing offense to somebody. You're scared to share what you believe about anything because you're scared it might offend somebody. That is what researchers and psycho, uh, psychologists and the statistics are saying. You know, the reality is, guys, you live in a culture that is offended about everything. The Bible says that people are going to be offended, that people are going to be offended about everything. As we get closer and closer and closer to Jesus coming back, it says we are going to be in a culture that literally people just are going to live offended. So let me just give you two quick thoughts that maybe would help you figure this out and rationalize it. Why you shouldn't live anxious about offending somebody because of your faith. One, very just simply, because people are looking for an excuse to be offended, y'all. They want to be offended. It's easier to be offended than take responsibility for their actual life. It's easier to blame it, to push it, to say it's somebody else's fault. So can I just tell you, you should never be worn out because someone else is offended. Because it's either going to be you that offends them or somebody else, but they're going to be offended. So you shouldn't live stressed out, anxious, or worn out because people are offended because it ain't your problem. And it ain't your fault. Two, it gets even better. Can I tell you that this Jesus that we worship, this Jesus that we serve, by very definition, is offensive. I don't care how nice you talk about him. I don't care if you say everything just right. I don't care if it's a smile on your face while you do it. It doesn't change the fact that Jesus is offensive. Scripture says that we will be hated because of him. It says in 1 Peter chapter 2 that he is the chief cornerstone and it labels him, he's the stone the builders rejected. It carries on, it goes in verse 8 and it says that he is a stone of stumbling. Check this. A rock of offense. For they, meaning people that don't believe in Jesus, they stumble because they are disobedient to the word. So, I'm not saying we should go around and bash people with Jesus, but I am saying it's okay to talk about Jesus. And if it offends somebody, that's not our fault. That's God. That's on him. He's offensive. That's just what he is, who he is. His message is offensive. There's nobody that can show up, say they love the world so much that they're going to live a perfect life and die for it and not offend somebody. It's just too radical. It's too bizarre of a thing. This God that we worship is insane. He is bizarre. He is offensive. But can I just tell you that you can't allow people's offenses with God to replace your atmosphere with anxiety. 
Just because somebody else is offended, you can't allow that to become a stress and an anxiety that you can't share who Jesus is, walk out who Jesus is, live like Jesus has called you to live just because somebody else is going to get offended by it. Because what anxiety does is it ruins your atmosphere with God. Samuel had the ability to listen closely and hear God because his atmosphere was primed for it. It was clear. He was so conscious of it. But see, if you're stricken by anxiety, you're not going to be able to hear God. If you are so full of the anxiety of this world and what people think and all of this stuff, if you're full of that, you cannot create a healthy atmosphere to hear God. So if you're taking notes, I want to give you four insights that I found as I read 1 Samuel chapter 3, four insights that will help you develop an atmosphere to hear God clearly in your life. If I could preface and explain this, I'm not going to give you four things that teach you how to hear God. I'm going to give you four things that teach you how to create an atmosphere that hears God. See, the difference between the two is giving you a fish versus teaching you how to fish. If I gave you a bunch of steps and were to say, do this and this and this, and you'll hear God, listen, you will go through seasons where you will hear God more clearly than other seasons. So the question is, will you still live in a healthy atmosphere of his presence, even if you're not hearing him as loud as you want to? Number one, I would tell you, you need to create a space. So simple, but you have to create a space so that the atmosphere with God can be shifted. Listen to me. This must be an untouched, untainted, clear of anyone but God space. This must be a place where you can spend time with him and it's not for anybody else. It's for you to spend time with him. You might set the space with worship music or maybe you like the lights dim or you like to have your Bible there or sometimes I will just lay and literally on my Bible app play the, the guy speaking the Bible to me and I'll lay there. However you set it up, do your own thing. You can, you can decorate it. You can, it could be in your bedroom. It could be in a closet. It could be in a basement. But you have to create a space that is exclusively reserved for an atmosphere to know God. If you want to hear him, you have to create a space where you can hear him. You will find that as you create a specific space to hear him, you will begin to hear him louder and more clearly in every space. But it must start with a specific space. If you don't create this atmosphere, some of y'all can resonate when I say this, that you only have a hope of anxiety. Yeah, that's how you feel. It's exactly how you feel. You resonate out of the gate when I say, listen, you don't create a space, you only get to be anxious. It's all that's afforded to you. It's all you can be is anxious if you don't have a space where you have the right atmosphere. It's all you can have. Can I tell you what you can have if you create the right space with God, if you have the right atmosphere? I'm telling you, take me to the bank on this. Try this out. You can have a clear mind. You can have an an, uh, an unclouded and clear mind. You can have a different confidence, a brighter, a strong confidence in yourself and in who God is. 
You can have a, a certain power you feel, an authority, that when you speak, it matters. When you step, it matters. When you breathe, it matters. Because you will realize that through prayer and in your space, you have literally the ability to shift heaven and earth. That's power. When I've gone into moments before where I've prayed and I've said, man, I'm like, something's shifting. It doesn't happen all the time. But when I feel something shifting, woo, I feel powerful. I feel like, man, I can like just straight up take out a giant and cut its head off or whatever. You know what I'm saying? I'm feeling like I can do something. But see, you know what that is? It's the Holy Spirit within you. You're giving up control. But you don't give up control finally to God unless you plant yourself in a space to do so. You're not going to do it twiddling your thumbs on your phone, playing video games or any of those other things. You're not going to experience that if you don't create a space. Can I also tell you that you're going to have a renewed joy in your life? A joy of the Lord that will be your strength. You will feel and know joy. That even on a dark day where you're not really feeling it, you'll still be like, that's okay. Today's not my best day, but I still have joy. Why? Because you've created a space for God to be able to implant these things into you. Can I tell you that, that, that you could create a space, but if you're not careful, it could be the equivalent of building a house and never living in it. So the second thing I tell you is you have to be consistent. If you're going to create a space where you're going to meet with God, it's the equivalent of building a house, you're going to go live in it. It's just the only thing that makes sense. You build a house, you live in it. You create a space, you have to be consistent into it. Let me give you a couple practical things. I would set up a time, if I was you, every day where you're going to be in the atmosphere, in that space with God. doesn't matter when you want to do it. It can be each and every morning. It can be every night. It could be as soon as you get home from school. It could be right before you do your homework to kind of loosen up your mind. It could be after your homework. It, it could be when you get off of work. I don't know. But you create a, a set time to the best of your ability. Somebody told me, they said, David, I create a routine where I live by that routine and every day, I, meaning every day, I have a routine with God. I get with God. And there are just times where I get off that routine. They're, they're pretty known individuals, so they sometimes they fly and their, their, their flight got their, their sleeping schedule off and their routine's messed up. He said, when I get off the routine, all that I do is get back on the routine. So you create a routine where every day you're going to say, Lord, at this time, I'm going to get in that space to create that atmosphere with you. I would even tell you this. I would set an amount of time you're going to spend in there. The reason I say it is not because you should shortchange God, but many of you are already shortchanging God, so you're going to have to push yourself to even do this in the first place. Start with 15 minutes. Start with 5 minutes. Start with 10. Then you have the opportunity to move to 20 and 30 in an hour. An hour? Whew, that's a long time to spend with God. Man, you spend an hour scrolling and shooting people on video games. You can't spend an hour with God? Like, you spend an hour talking to your friends on, a, on the phone. You spend an hour sitting there eating Doritos for all I know. Like, you can spend an hour doing a lot of things really easy. You can't spend it with God. But listen, I realize that's a stretch. Even for me, it's hard to spend an hour. My, my life and my day and my schedule gets going crazy. An hour, it's work if I'm just being honest. But that's what I aim for is an hour every day. Sometimes I fall short. 
Sometimes, uh, such as Monday, I had, I had an overabundance where I sat with the Lord. I needed him. I needed focus for this message. I needed clarity, and I could do it. It, it varies. But I would tell you, set an amount of time to say, Lord, I don't feel like being in here for 15 minutes, but I'm going to force and push myself to be in here for 15 minutes because I really want to go do this and do that and be here. But I'm going to, at this set time, in this set space, I'm going to be consistent and say, I'm going to give you 15 minutes every day. Start with something. And you will see that your appetite will grow for it as you are consistent with it. But can I tell you that you could consistently do it? But number three, if you don't live intentionally, it won't matter. All of these build upon each other. Some of them you might have to focus more than others and zone in on. But can I tell you that you're going to have to set new standards and new rules for yourself. So let me just get out of the space for a second and just talk practically something that I started doing, something that I know is an issue because we have a generation that is living um, sleep deprived and anxious based upon their phone and social media. A rule I would encourage you to set for yourself is don't check social media right before you go to bed and don't check it right when you get up. It's a bad habit that I did for years, like falling asleep to a TV. I love falling asleep to movies and TV. I did it all through college. Um, and then I got married and Sid wouldn't allow me to have a TV in the bedroom and it shattered my world and I, I hate it still. I still wish I could do it. But there's so much to the fact that what you put into your brain right before you go to bed, you're gonna dream about it, even if you don't remember. There is literally cognitive things happening inside of your mind while you're sleeping. Do you want the last thing that you place in your mind to be what's on a screen? Do you want the last thing to be whatever thing you swiped, maybe something you shouldn't have seen while you were swiping or something somebody else is doing you're gonna compare it to or whatever the thing is. Do you want that to be the last thing in your head? or? I don't know, this is what I do. I started reading. I know it sounds super nerdy, but I did a ton of reading, a ton of study just to preach these last two sermons. I'm, I'm educating myself. I'm trying to grow my mental capacity for things. I'm trying to learn new words. I'm not a reader, but I'm forcing myself to do it because usually I'm either really excited and in reading into something or I get three pages in, I'm just like, I'm out. Either way, I've noticed that when I go to sleep, it is much different than the extra hour, could be two hours, whatever, of just scrolling until you ever you reach that point where literally you're hanging offside your bed and you're just kind of like, and then your phone drops and hits, hits the ground and you wake up and you're like, oh crap, I need to go to bed. I did that far too many times and what I wasn't allowing my, my body to do is actually rest, actually reach a point of rest. I wanna dream about the things of God. I want to dream about who Jesus is, who he's created me to be. You can't do that if you're scrolling. So that's a practical thing if you're going to live intentionally. I'd also tell you that when you go into your space and you're consistent in that space, you have to also be intentional um, that while you're in that space, you have to remove anything that's going to distract you. If you're giving God a set quantity of time, why would you take your cell phone into that moment? That would distract you if you're only giving him a set quantity of time. So maybe you take your Apple Watch off, your phone, uh, whatever it is, you remove distraction and you're intentional for that time. If you're only gonna give him 15 minutes, come on, it's 15 minutes. If you're only gonna give him that much time, it has to be intentional time. 
Here's another outside of the space thing that will help you in your anxiety to create the right atmosphere as well. Um, when you're out with people, put your phone away. I'm bad at this. I'm working on it. My wife corrects me on it. I appreciate it even in the moment that I don't show I appreciate it. I appreciate it because we've become a bunch of people in the same room but not in the same room. And can I tell you what it's doing is it's creating anxiety because you don't know how to relationally, eye contact, whatever it is, connect with people. It's hard for you. It's weird for you. You don't know how to do it. So if you were to take this and put it in your pocket, put it in your purse, um, put it in your jacket, your backpack, whatever. If you were to remove it, you know what you're left with? A bunch of awkward conversation. Sitting there, looking around, trying to keep eye contact with people, and it's super weird, and you don't know what to say, and it's awkward, but you know what you're doing? You're pressing through some of that awkwardness, and that awkwardness is shaving anxiety off your life. Because it's forcing you to have to look into another human being's eyes and have an intelligent conversation with them. And here's the thing, is when I say intelligent, I don't mean smart. I mean, it can, you can talk about anything. But I say intelligent conversation because sitting around with a bunch of people, scrolling like this, and then going, oh yeah, uh-huh, yeah, I remember. She totally, I can't believe it. That's not intelligent. We look like a bunch of idiots, and we do it all the time. So I would tell you if you're gonna live intentionally, this has got to change. If you don't care that much about hearing God, you won't change this. If you do, you will take seriously what I'm saying and you will change it. Because the best part, can I tell you the best part is number four, you get to respond to the voice. That's the best part. Literally, the maker of heaven and earth talks to you and you get to respond. Look at this, 1 Samuel 3, verse 10. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Here's the best part. Then Samuel said, speak for your servant is listening. The best part is God speaks to you and you go, hey, keep talking to me. Like, holy crap, I'm hearing you talking right now. I'm feeling what you're doing in my life. You're guiding me. You're shaping me. You're showing who I should or shouldn't marry. You're showing me some steps I should take in my journey with you. You're showing me some stuff about school and work and my future. You're working in some habits of mine. Holy crap, God is speaking to me. Keep speaking. I'm listening. The best part is you get to respond. Can I tell you, you don't want to wait to respond to God. Now is the time to respond to God. Give him your life like a Gen Z middle schooler named Samuel at a young, Samuel went on to be one of the greatest prophets. He anointed Samuel and come on somebody, King David to be king over all Israel. Samuel anointed King David. That's awesome. This little middle schooler that used to just create the atmosphere laying in God's presence went on to anoint literally, hey, I know, I know I'm on this whole David kick right now because it's my name. I'm, listen, I, this ain't me saying it's God. Man after God's own heart, David. Greatest king ever of Israel, David. But Samuel got to anoint him. Samuel was so close to God that God used him for just enormous things. But you know where it starts? It starts with you saying, speak, Lord, I'm listening. I'm your servant. I'm listening. Holy crap, you're talking to me right now. I'm listening. 
Let me explain it this way. Um, Sid and I were in bed last week. I fall asleep uh, usually a lot after, like she falls asleep way quicker than me. And I'm laying there and she fell asleep and she just flings her body over top of me. And I'm just laying there like a vampire and she's just completely killing me basically. And she's laying there and she's sleeping and as I hear her talking, I mean uh, sleeping, she goes, when did Elvis die? She's dead asleep, okay? She's dead asleep. I go, sit. 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 <sighs> when did Elvis die? She says it a second time. Now listen, I love Elvis probably more than most. I never hear Sid talk about Elvis. I'm like, why? what is she dreaming about right now? I'm like, Sid, Sid. Wake up, what's going on? I wake her up. She wakes up and I go, you just said, you just asked me when did Elvis die? And she, what? I go, yeah, you just asked when did Elvis die? We start laughing hysterically because she realizes, oh my word, I did. I just asked when did Elvis die? I, like, like it finally was like, it was sinking in her head. Like I just asked when did Elvis die? So I wanted to know when Elvis died. So I go, hey, Siri, when did Elvis die? Siri goes, August 16th, 1977 in Graceland. And so then I'm on a kick. I go, when was Elvis born? So I just start asking Siri all these questions. Sid's like up at that point. So I'm just like in like a, a learning mode at this point. Like, hey, Siri, you know, I'm asking Siri all these questions. And, uh, and I realized I could ask Siri about World War II. I could ask Siri about the Dust Bowl era. I could ask Siri about championship games. I could ask Siri about 9-11. I could ask Siri about when Christopher Columbus came to the, um, the Americas. I can ask Siri about anything that came before. I just can't ask her about anything that has yet to come. I can ask her about any of the last. I just can't ask her about anything of the next. Can I tell you that this series is called Z, The Now Generation, because if you want to know what God has next for your life, then you're going to have to set the right atmosphere now if you're going to get it. If you wait to the next to get the next, you already missed it. You ain't getting it. You have to set an atmosphere now. You are the now generation. You have to right now say, at this age, I'm going to create a right atmosphere at God. At this moment in my life, I'm going to start trying to listen for him. At this moment, I'm going to create a space. I'm going to be uh, consistent. I'm going to live intentionally. And then I'm going to respond right now as a middle schooler, right now as a high schooler, right now as a young adult, right now as a 32-year-old. Because listen, God still has next things for my life, but I'm not going to get him unless I live right now the way he wants me to. If you don't create the right atmosphere now, you will never get what he has for you next. Listen, I can ask Siri about anything that has been, but I can only ask Jesus about what will be. If you want to know what he has next for you, it starts now. Bow your heads, close your eyes with me. As the Lord is in this place, I know this is a very practical, it's a very... Uh, hopefully helpful, 
sermon. I know it's not necessarily deep in scripture and all of that, but it's just to equip you of what you must do now if you're gonna be who God's called you to be next. This generation can do so much for Jesus. This generation has so much potential. This generation is not a lost cause. But if I were to be so honest with you, you have to change some things now if you really want to be who God has called you to be. You have to do it now. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait till next year. Don't wait till you're in your 20s or your 30s or whatever it's going to be. Do it now. Put some things before God right now. So I don't know how that looks for you, but I would at least ask you the question tonight, do you know Jesus as your personal Savior? Do you know that he loves you? Do you know that he cares that he's created you? And do you know that he wants nothing more than to be in an atmosphere with you? He wants to be in your presence. Are you catching this? God wants to be in your presence. He wants to be next to you. He wants you to lay your head like Samuel did next to the ark. He wants you to, when you lay your head to sleep, that you lay your head down in his presence. When you wake up, you rise in his presence. He wants to be with you. He wants to know you. He wants you to know him the way that he knows you. He wants that. So very simply, if you're here and you just don't know Jesus, and you have never been in a place of wanting what I'm talking about, I want to give you an opportunity to want Jesus the way he wants you. Would you raise your hand if you're just saying that tonight? I, I have some sin in my life. I have some decisions I've been making. I have some things that I got to give to God tonight. Thank you. Thank you. I got to give to God. Maybe you even say, hey, man, I, I don't want God nearly as much as I want a lot of other things in my life. And you're just saying tonight, I got to give myself wholly to him. Thank you. I see those hands. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks so much. Do we want him or not? Do we want him or not? It's a very simple question. And it can, you can give an honest answer. You can say no just as much as you can say yes. It is truly your decision with him. Do you want him or not? If you want him, then you're going to have to shift the atmosphere if you want him. Because this generation is about to take you for every thing you're worth, everything you got. It, it, it literally takes no prisoners. It's going to cut you down right where you stand. So if, if, if you're like me, where you'd say, Jesus is my only hope, then I realize I got to make some changes. I got to shift my atmosphere every day to make sure that he is in the equation. I just want to pray over you tonight. And if, if you're needing to commit your heart to Jesus for the first time, as I pray, I want you just right where you're at to just acknowledge to God that you want him, you need him, that you want his forgiveness, very simply, right where you're at. But as I pray over you, and even everybody else as you participate, I want you to begin right now to start analyzing your atmosphere to start analyzing what you're living for, to start analyzing 
what's controlling you, how you feel about yourself, how you look at yourself, all these things. Holy Spirit, you are so welcome in this place. You've been welcome from the moment we gather. You'll be welcome after we finish. God, we ask you to speak to every heart tonight. I just want the pastors, the leaders, just to start praying out loud with me over this room. We ask you, we welcome you, we invite you, Holy Spirit, to invade every heart that invites you tonight. God, I ask that your Holy Spirit would come and begin to speak specifics to hearts tonight. We begin to dive and dig into places that maybe they're even wondering if they want to give up, but there's something in them that just wants a change and they're willing to try something different if that's going to bring a change. God, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come and you would recklessly show them your love. Show them how bad you want them and might give them a glimpse to even get them to a point where they're starting to want you nearly even close to as bad as you want them. God, I pray that you would show them how they need to create space for you, how they need to shift their atmosphere. God, I pray that they would see how anxious they are. And even bigger than that, that they would see that they don't have to be anxious They don't have to be anxious about anything, Scripture says. They don't have to live in the depression. They don't have to live with the suicidal thoughts. They don't have to live wondering what life is all about. But they can set an atmosphere where they lay their head down in the presence of God and they can hear you clearly. I pray for quiet and focus. I pray for a whisper-like ability to hear you in their ears and in their heart tonight, God. We're begging you. We're crying out for this generation. If there's one here, the Lord, that needs to give their heart to you, we're asking Jesus, would they commit their hearts, their past, present, future, their life, all of themselves, truly all in, would they commit themselves to you to say, I want Jesus. I'm not ashamed. I don't care who it offends. I don't care what happens because of it. I want to live with Jesus. Pray you'd shift atmosphere tonight. Shift hearts tonight. Lord, I thank you for your word. There is nothing above your word. And I thank you for your presence. There is nothing like the sweet touch. There is nothing like when Jesus walks in the room. So we just stop for one moment to be fully aware, to claim that Jesus has stepped into the room. And for that, God, because you are so good to us, we give you all the glory, the honor, and the praise. In Jesus' name, everybody says amen. Amen.